Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. Some of our listeners will know that this week on August 4th, an important festival is celebrated in China. That's Qixi, which is sometimes dubbed China's Valentine's Day. Qixi falls this year on August 4th, so there's still enough time to prepare something for your special someone. But quite unsurprisingly, for a show focused on business news, today's podcast is a little short of romantic. We'll be hearing about how the retailer Miniso has fallen victim to a short seller attack. It's also been a bad week for Yang Huiyan, who has lost her title as Asia's richest woman. But at least things are looking up for Huawei as the tech giant gears up to enter the ride-hailing industry. But before all of that, let's talk about the big phone call between Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden. Last week, the two world leaders had their first phone call in almost half a year. Chinese state broadcaster CCTV described it as a candid and in-depth phone discussion on bilateral relations and issues with mutual interests last week. During the discussion, she said that the two countries should make good use of existing exchange channels and promote bilateral cooperation. Meanwhile, his American counterpart said that Washington hopes to maintain a smooth dialogue with China, enhance mutual understanding, avoid misunderstanding and misjudgments. But of course, the phone call took place amid rising tensions over a possible visit to Taiwan in August by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Beijing previously said that it firmly opposes such a trip and would take, quote, strong and resolute measures if the trip went ahead. During the roughly two-hour and 20-minute call, Xi emphasized China's stance on Taiwan, saying that the One China Principle is the political foundation for U.S.-China relations. Biden is said to have reiterated that the U.S. position on the One China Principle has not changed and will not change, adding that Washington does not support 
Taiwan independence. In other big news, analysts say that China's Politburo has signaled that the country's leaders will stick to the zero-COVID strategy despite an economic slowdown. The Politburo is China's top decision-making body. It is led by President Xi Jinping. According to a report published by Xinhua News Agency, a Thursday meeting of the 25-member body retained its long-held zero-COVID stance and called for effective tracing of new variants and development of new vaccines and drugs. The Politburo also said that the country should, quote, consolidate the economic recovery, focus on stabilizing employment and inflation, keep the economy operating within a reasonable range, and strive to achieve the best results, end quote. Wang Tao, the head of China Economic Research at UBS Investment Bank, said this serves as a sign that the government is de-emphasizing the ambitious GDP growth target set in March. In light of the sharp growth slowdown in the second quarter, economists at Australia and New Zealand Banking Group said, quote, In acknowledging the difficulties, the government has finally become flexible towards this year's growth target. The same economist said that, quote, It appears to us that any change in the zero-COVID policy will only happen when authorities are convinced that mutations are less virulent and vaccines-slash-medicines are proven to be more effective. They added, both are unlikely to happen in the near term. Didi may be in the driver's seat, but Huawei is making moves in the ride-hailing market. The telecoms equipment giant, which is going to great lengths to hedge against the impact of U.S. sanctions, said its petal chuxing service is compatible with various Huawei devices, including smartphones, smartwatches, and tablet computers. The gadgets are all powered by the latest version of the company's homegrown Harmony operating system. It is unclear whether the service will be eventually available to non-Huawei users. Another tech giant is making the news this week, and that tech giant is Ant Group. The big news is that Ant has established a new committee under its board to oversee risk management and consumer protection. The move represents another internal structural change as the Alibaba-backed fintech giant pushes ahead with rectification work to meet regulatory requirements. Ant said that the creation of the panel will play a key part in improving corporate governance and strengthening the functioning of the board. The company is still reeling from a spectacular regulatory intervention in November 2020 that scuppered what would likely have been history's most valuable IPO. Ant is ramping up efforts to obtain a license to reorganize as a financial holding company overseen by the central bank, as announced in April of last year, as part of an overhaul mandated by Beijing. We've got some more details on China's digital currency ambitions. Mu Changchun, the head of the central bank's Digital Currency Research Institute, says that the country plans to tighten legislation around the digital yuan to protect user privacy and combat illegal activities such as money laundering and terrorist financing. Speaking at the 5th Digital China Summit, a government-backed conference, Mu said that there have been misunderstandings that using the digital currency infringes on people's privacy and turns everyone into a little ant with GPS installed. He said that 
there's a so-called controlled autonomy. He said that there is a so-called controlled anonymity applied to the currency, which means authorities only access users' personal information when they suspect illegal transactions have taken place. The central bank began research on the digital yuan in 2014 and launched a pilot program in 2020. It expanded the program in March this year after releasing a smartphone app for making payments and transfers with the digital currency in January for users in 12 cities and regions. As I mentioned at the outset, it's been a rough week for Yang Huiyan. She's been knocked out of her spot as Asia's wealthiest woman. She now ranks as the third richest woman on the continent. The number one spot now goes to India's Savitri Jindal. Jindal made her estimated $11.3 billion fortune through her conglomerate Jindal Group, which works in metals and energy. Meanwhile, coming in as Asia's second richest woman is China's Fan Hongwei, who is behind chemical fiber company Hengli Petrochemical. The development reflects on how China's property woes have hit local real estate players hard, including Yang's company, Country Garden Holdings, which is the nation's biggest property developer. According to Bloomberg, Yang's fortune was more than halved this year to $11 billion, with the decline accelerating last week when her company said it needed to raise equity at a discount, causing the stock to plunge to its lowest since 2016. Social media users have reacted with fury after the discovery of controversial memorial tablets at a Nanjing temple. It appears that the memorial tablets were enshrined in 2018 to commemorate five Japanese war criminals involved in the notorious Nanjing Massacre of 1937. The tablets were first found in February, but a recent Weibo post has gotten the story much more attention. A local investigation into the matter has led to one woman being detained, the temple abbot being dismissed, and several religious officials being punished. According to investigators, the woman suspected of enshrining the memorial tablets had suffered psychological problems after learning about the crimes of five war criminals in Nanjing. To get rid of the nightmares that had haunted her for a long time, she paid 3,000 yuan, or around $440, at once to put the memorial tablets in the shrine for five years. Let's turn now to Nandini Vincata, who, of course, is Taishin Global's podcast producer and the co-producer of this program. Welcome back, Nandini. Hey, Kaiser. Great to be back on the show. Well, great to have you back. Uh, so what's the big story of the week? Yeah, so for this week's episode, I've chosen a pretty fun story, um, but it's not fun for the company at the center of this. So it's about Miniso and just some basic background um, on this company. Uh, Miniso was founded in 2013. Miniso is a Chinese household and consumer goods retailer. Um, it's often compared to the Japanese retailer Muji. So it produces similar products, but um, I would say with at a far lower cost. And um, in October 2020, it listed on the New York Stock Exchange, um, in which it raised... Um, over 600 million US dollars 
And, you know, as um, tensions between Beijing and Washington have simmered um, and many U.S. listed Chinese stocks, um, you know, fear that they could soon be delisted due to an audit dispute, Miniso filed for a Hong Kong dual primary listing last month. And in that process, it made about 60 million U.S. dollars. Okay, so let's get into the short seller attack then. What is going on here? Yeah, so for anyone not familiar, short sellers like Blue Orca um, often do a lot of research on companies who they think are being overvalued. So the short sellers then essentially bet against the companies performing well in the future. They then sell borrowed stock in the target of these companies. Um, this is known as selling a short. And they expect share values to fall when they publish their findings. So when they come out with these damning reports. So the short sellers then buy target company shares at lower prices to replace the borrowed stock. And then they hope to net themselves a major profit. So last week, this American short seller called Blue Orca Capital published a report which had some pretty damning allegations about Miniso. For one, the short seller alleged that um, Miniso had siphoned off hundreds of millions of yuan in capital raised from public investors through, quote, a series of crooked transactions revolving around the purchase and construction of a massive headquarters in China, on top of that, the short seller has also accused Miniso about lying about its business model and concealing poor financial performance. These allegations did really ripple through the stock market. You know, quite soon after they came out, just the next day, Miniso's Hong Kong stock dropped almost 11% um, in Hong Kong and its New York stock plunged 15% the next day. So how has Miniso responded to all of this? Well, for one, the company has denied the allegations. Um, the very next day, it sent a filing to the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, which dismissed all these accusations. The filing said that the short report is without merit and contains misleading conclusions and interpretations. And Miniso also said that it has decided to set up a committee of three independent board members who will oversee an investigation into Blue Orca's allegations. Okay, Nandini. And is there anything else we really should know? Yeah, well, I should point out that this is far from the first time that um, a Chinese company listed in the U.S. has become the target of a short seller. I think the most high-profile case is when the short seller Muddy Waters um, decided to short Luck and Coffee. And it came up with this really explosive report with all these allegations about how Luck and Coffee, the Chinese coffee giant, had fabricated hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. And this really did ha lead to some big problems for Luck and Coffee in 2020. The coffee maker admitted the fraud, and this led Luckin to not only pay huge fines, but you know a lot of its um, senior management lost their jobs, and of course Luckin was eventually delisted from the Nasdaq. Reason to take this seriously for sure, though the short sellers aren't always right. Anyway, uh, thanks for this, Nandini. 
Thanks, Kaiser. Speak to you soon. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Andini Vincata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Lee Sheen of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the great shows on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Corner Office. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to China Access for our daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.